keep talking about weather as we go? No, I absolutely refuse to talk about weather. <laughs> I like the weather. I know, I know, but no, <laughs> just no. Man, I was really shocked yesterday in the in the hiking excursion. It was super cold. Wow. I'm looking forward to seeing those photos, by the way. They look like you sent me a couple uh, as a sample. They look sweet. How was the hike? It was really great, but it was super crowded. Like Oh, really? Yeah, like you wouldn't imagine. Because this year, uh, the winter has been super short. Right. And uh, it we barely got any snowfall during the early part of the winter. So it's now been, I guess, a couple of weeks uh, yeah. for people to, that with, you know, with enough snow on the, on the hills and uh, so that, that people can go hiking. And uh, the season started, yeah, like a couple of weeks ago and everyone's going there like crazy, especially on the weekends, of course. How far away is it from me? It's about 30 minute drive. It's, it's really close, but it took us a while to to find a place to leave the car because it was, yeah, there was a lot of traffic. And even in, we were there at 8 a.m. and it was already like completely packed. The parking was wow. uh, full and we had to leave the car, you know, on the side of the road. Well, you showed us the uh, the website that described the place and it, it seemed like it would be a popular spot. Like they, they had some beautiful photos there. Yeah, and lots of schools and, and you know, agencies that organize trips and, and excursions. And, right. and there's a ski resort over there as well. So plenty of people that go skiing. It was super well uh, organized. They, they rent all the material you need. So that's what we did, basically. We had the snowshoes were loaned to us by the company that we had uh, uh, hired for the for this, the excursion. Right. And then we rented uh, boots and I rented uh, a couple of uh, snow trousers because I didn't have any. Did you guys go cross-country skiing while you were there? Um, no, it was just with the snowshoes walking across the, the forest, really. We went from Navacerrada, which is the main uh, peak, <laughs> to another place that's called, uh, well, in English it would be like the Seven Summits. It's Siete Picos in Spanish. And it's a really nice hike. It's about eight kilometers, all things considered, like uh, the return trip. It's about eight right. kilometers. And it took us about four hours so oh, that's wow. pretty good yeah. it was a, through it the was snow a, yeah it was a pretty good day you're able to like lift uh, your legs and everything at the end of the day with walking through that kind of snow that's impressive i was really really tired <laughs> by, the, by the end yeah and uh we didn't even stop for lunch or anything it was the four hours we only made a couple a couple tactical like five minute stops five minute breaks and uh all the rest of the time we were we spent walking so by the end we were yeah pretty pretty spent but it was pretty cool pretty good <laughs> pretty cool that's what i meant nice to say. and then strapped to your back was all this camera equipment with you know multiple tripods and big zooms to take pictures of the owls of and the trees and two like a cues in hand <laughs> <laughs> and i rented five telephotos five telephoto lenses yeah yeah i packed uh, the works all, all the stuff uh, yeah, I actually did carry a fair bit of camera gear. I took the, I took a backpack with the Sony A7 II and the uh, 24-70 zoom, and also the 70-200, although I didn't get to use that one because it was a really overcast day, so we didn't have any visibility. I, I couldn't really see, uh, like, 50 meters away from me. Mm. It was already super cloudy, and you couldn't barely see anything. So the telephotos stayed in the bag for the entire day, but the twenty-four to seventy, I really, I really used it a lot, and I'm I'm actually very happy with how it held up because this was my first uh, thorough test of the A7II's weather sealing, and also the lens, by the way. So I'm happy to say that it did held up pretty well, better than I was, than I was expecting it to, because it got some snow on it at some point during the during the hike 
Uh, okay, so here's a question for you because this is like a, a struggle for I think anyone who shoots in the winter. Did you have gloves on while you were shooting? And yeah. if so, did you find that the A7 II was a comfortable camera to use with gloves or not so much? It was. I, I had two pairs of gloves, uh, actually, <laughs> because I, I didn't have proper snow gloves, so I resorted to wearing two. Right. Uh, so as you can imagine, my dexterity was not really uh, as best as it, as it could have been. But yeah. even then, I I didn't have any problems with with the camera at all. It, it That's was awesome. yeah, it was great. And here's one thing that uh, I think Sony sometimes gets a a bad rap for, which is that they don't typically put uh, touchscreens on their cameras. But in this case, if you're wearing gloves, a touchscreen is absolutely no good to you. So I've often wondered if it would make sense to have it. And I guess it doesn't hurt. But in this uh, type of scenario, yeah, you don't need it, basically. So Yeah, touchscreens are a strange thing. I always find that they're more useful, um, or, or rather that I only use them to touch select a focus point. I, I find that that's a very useful thing, but otherwise I prefer to just keep them off. Like I don't really enjoy the tap to shoot functionality that is popular now, um, I guess because of smartphones. Uh, but it is it is handy to be able to poke something and have the focus point change to that. Um, but yeah, outdoors in a snowy environment, that's just not that's just not reasonable. Disagreed wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. I think it's a total <laughs> really? gimmick, waste of time. Can't stand the touchscreen. It just gets in the way, and go. my chin bumps it and changes things. And uh, no, don't like it. Yeah. Okay, but what about for touch focus point? Even then, I don't like it. It's just like Even I can then? I'm more accurate by moving the D pad around and putting the square in the right spot. Yeah, I guess it's just right. it for me. It's slower, um, but on the other hand, if, if something like the X Pro Two that has the dedicated joystick for something like that, um, right? You know, like DSLRs have as well. Um, That'd be killer. I'd love to try that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. that. I I feel like having that um, for me at least eliminates the need for a touchscreen for my usage, and that's why I think um, Fuji made that decision to not make the X Pro Two a touchscreen um, and I don't miss it at all. Does the X-Pro2 have an exposure compensation dial on it? It does. Yeah, it goes plus and minus. It does, like a dedicated one? It, well, yeah, and now actually that was one of the things that they changed. So most Fuji cameras have, um, like current generation Fuji cameras have like a plus minus three and uh, the X-Pro2 actually has a sort of, um, there's a position on the dial called C and when you put it into the C mode, you can actually push it to plus or minus five stops wow. of exposure compensation. Well, if yeah. you need five stops of compensation, maybe you're not doing it right. right? <laughs> yeah, and this is actually, honestly, this is this is a very strange thing. So exposure compensation is like my least used exposure tool um, because I always feel like if you're compensating, you could just like fix the exposure. Like, why are you... I, you know what I mean? Like I understand in a in a pinch, it's nice to be able to just push up or down one stop and let the camera figure it out. But if I'm shooting something and I need my exposure controlled, then I prefer to make like I, I want to make the decision of what is changing to give me that extra stop in either direction. And what what does change? Like does ISO change first, or like is it a uh, combination of the three? It kind of depends on the camera, um, but typically, yeah, ISO is the easiest thing for it to push. Um, because it assumes that you want to keep your depth of field and or your motion freezing capabilities static. So it tries to compensate with the only other thing it can. Really? Um, but I, I have seen um, cameras that adjust the other parameters as well. I think it depends if you're in like aperture priority or shutter priority. You know what I mean? Like it locks, it tries to keep locked whatever you, um, whatever mode you're in. But in, uh, yeah, and just in general, I find that that dial gets the least use um, on any camera where, where I've had it, it just, I don't use it. Like I compensate by normally, you know, changing the other parameters. Right. I'm, I'm in kind of the same boat. Like the EM5 Mark II came with two dials, no dedicated exposure compensation dials. So like when you're in aperture priority, the front or the back, whichever one you decide ha is dedicated to shutter speed or aperture. And then the other one is exposure comp. So on the a7 II with the dedicated dial, like it just, you know, one of those dials is duplicated one of the functions right and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense so anyhow i was curious if they had a dedicated one on the x pro 2 yeah they do and they've got this this weird like i said this this c thing and that's something that i think i even wrote about in the review as being 
strange because to me it was like okay if if you're gonna need five stops that's fine let's say you need five stops in one direction and five in the other but wouldn't it make more sense to just make the dial go up to five rather than have a dedicated position and then make me you know what i mean because the whole idea of an exposure compensation dial is to be able to adjust this quickly so if i have to move it into a C position and then use another dial to adjust the extra stops, then I'm kind of losing the speed advantage. So why not just do the, like they had room on the dial, so it's kind of a strange decision, but who knows? Right, I, I agree. This doesn't seem like a very intuitive way to arrange the that control, yeah. It would have made, it would have been a lot easier to just have the dial go to five, yeah. Yeah, and, just put it on the dial, but anyway. It's funny you should say that uh, about the exposure compensation dial because I almost never use it as well. I'm just like you guys. But yesterday I figured out uh, why it's there and why I should use it more. Uh, let me explain. Uh, yesterday I, I, I spent the whole day walking in snow, in snow, right? So as you can imagine, most of what I saw was white. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're shooting on aperture priority, uh, as I do most of the time, the camera just uh, meters off the the scene and calculates the exposure and fix the, fixes the shutter speed and the ISO that you have to get the proper amount of light and record a correct exposure. The problem is most cameras in, in most metering modes are not able to handle uh, scenes with a lot of white very well. So what happened to me, what I found out when I when I got home and took a look at the pictures on my computer, was that they were all underexposed by about one stop, you know, on average. Some pictures were uh, 1.2 stops underexposed, another one's 0.8. But on average, it, it worked out to about a stop uh, of underexposure on every shot. Right. And that's because it's the way the, the light meter works inside the camera. The, the light meter measures... Uh, intensity of light uh, you could say that the darkest uh, the darkest level of light the camera can record is what is considered black and the highest level is what is considered uh, white pure white yeah and the meter is calibrated to assume that in most scenes uh, if you take into account the brighter parts of an image and the darker parts of an image it's going to average out to sort of a neutral gray so the camera assumes that everything it sees has to be gray at the end of the day once you do the average of the entire scene. And that tends to work very well for most scenes, but when you have super high contrast or when where most of your scene is either black or white, the light meter gets it wrong because it's trying to make it gray and it's not gray. The snow is white and it should look white when you take a picture of it. And that's why I was getting... Uh, you know, underexposed shots on a regular basis all the time uh, during my trip yesterday. Out of curiosity, were you shooting in evaluative metering or yeah, yeah. Uh, center weighted or what was it? I wasn't shooting in evaluative metering yet. Metering, okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, if you're on aperture priority, you have no way to make up for that error in light metering unless you use the exposure compensation. Uh, so that's why, but that's why it's there and that's why... <laughs> It's it's necessary, and the Olympus cameras don't have a dedicated um, exposure compensation dial. But what they do is they the OMD cameras at least have two dials, and depending yeah, one on, of them is always exposure comp. Yeah, when you're exactly. In the, depending on the yeah. mode you're you're shooting with, but the Sony cameras don't work that way. The Sony cameras both dials control the primary parameters. So if you are shooting on aperture priority, as I was, both of your dials control the aperture, and you can use whichever one is more comfortable to you can you not adjust that though you totally can yep i in fact the uh, the grip that i just got for the bottom of the a7 ii doesn't have an exposure compensation dial so i actually changed up the back dial so that i could at least control both parameters no matter which uh like if i'm shooting in landscape or in portrait so anyway yeah you can cool. change it so for uh listeners that are wondering about this one way you can sort of get around this uh, limitation of uh, that most cameras have when shooting in evaluative mode is changing the metering mode to, for example, spot metering. And you select the, the point that you know is uh, the exposure level that you want to sort of 
uh, grab as a reference and it'll it'll meter and it'll use that level for the entire frame that way you can get around this this type of scene that tends to confuse the default uh, metering mode of most cameras which is called evaluative mode for canon i believe but every manufacturer calls it a different way but it's all the same really yeah, they all have some different name for it. And usually that point, if you're in spot metering mode, usually it's linked to your autofocus point um, yeah. as well by default, at least. So that's, you know, you kind of know that wherever you're focusing, if it's on the subject, that's what the camera is metering um, for light levels as well. I actually tend to use center weighted most of the time. I find myself using that because it, it's like a better compromise between both sides. Because for instance, if you're shooting someone who's got a... Um, a face with, uh, you know, like in deeply inset eyes, for instance, and you're trying to focus on their eye for a portrait, um, their eye and their brow area might actually be darker than their cheek, for instance. And then you actually get incorrect metering um, because of that as well in spot metering mode. So that's why I, fi I find that like center weighted is a better, um, is a better compromise in most situations because then it's still focusing on your subject, but it's also taking into account the immediate surroundings so that you can avoid um, issues like that one. This is like super, super uh, enlightening because I like the majority of my photography is with, um, you know, those big white sheets. I have big two big white sheets of melamine and it's kind of like a almost like a shiny white board. Yeah. And if I put like a, you know, the Sony a7 II is a terrible or a perfect example. It's an all black camera. And if I take a picture of it, or I guess it's a bad example because I'm not taking a picture of the camera with the camera, but you know what I mean? Like it's a black item in the middle of this big white background. And for the life of me, I've never been able to properly get the exposure right by just aiming at the, the object and firing. So I'm going to try this. I'm going to try You said center, Marius? Yeah, usually it's called like center weighted or center something. It's, it's basically the in-between one, right? Because on the two extremes, you've got spot and um, evaluative or like full scene interpretation. And then there's usually, I, I think most cameras have one in the middle where it's like the area around your focus point only rather than the full scene. So that's the one that I tend to stick um, to use for pretty much all of my shooting. And I just find that it, um, it allows me to, I guess this is why I don't find myself using exposure compensation dials because I almost never find um, the metering off by enough to uh, to feel the need to compensate that way. And, and whenever I do, I just, like I said, I, I fiddle with the settings myself. Fascinating. I can see a difference already. Yeah. Marius's approach is definitely more uh, canonical, more more correct, if you want to, if you want to call it that way. What I do is just, I, I tend to eyeball it. I sort of know that if I'm shooting a white scene, it's going to be underexposed by about one stop. So I tend to automatically add the plus one in the exposure compensation dial. And uh, conversely, if I'm shooting a, a black scene, then I know it's going to be overexposed. So I turn the dial to minus one. And that's typically what I do. Ideally, what I should do, but I don't really, is take a look at the histogram as I'm shooting, because that way you can definitely make sure that you're that your tones are going to be correct, that you're not, not going to clip the highlights or or go all the way down to the shadows. And uh, uh, yeah, you just adjust the compensation and try to keep the histogram centered. And with that, you should be you should be okay. Yeah, this, that's kind of one of the reasons that I really like cameras that have good EVFs and, and customizable EVFs, because even just having a tiny little histogram reference in the bottom corner is is a like, it's so useful to be able to glance there and just double check because especially on like an EVF is one thing, but especially if you're on a camera where you're looking at the back LCD screen instead, sometimes they have like automatic brightness adjustments and things like that, that can really throw off your understanding of like how the exposure is actually um, being captured rather than what it looks like on the screen. So as long as you have that histogram, at least you can always use that as a definitive reference to say, okay, this is properly exposed or not. Um, but I find that I think a lot of people are just kind of put off by the idea of having it there because it's it's kind of the strange graph and until you get used to reading it, it's not especially meaningful. And it's also just annoying to have something floating on top of your composition, um, but it is it is useful. I, I don't know. I find I find it's good to have there. We need to talk about how to read those things because 
<laughs> I mean, maybe not today, but that, one yeah, day. That could be an episode in and of itself. <laughs> in the last yeah. two minutes, I have changed my metering mode and I have put the histogram in the bottom corner and I <laughs> am sold. Yeah, the problem with that is that it, it's distracting. It's, it's a bit like Marius was saying, yeah. that yeah. if you're trying to capture a moment that is, you know, you're having fun. I was on a trip. I was just paying attention to my surroundings and looking at the scenery. I wasn't trying to get a technically correct picture and I wasn't really thinking about the process all that much. And if I had to stop and look at the histogram and at the exposure compensation, it sort of takes you away from the moment a little bit. So un unless you are, uh, you know, so experienced that it's all just muscle memory to you. But uh, that, that wasn't my case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the big struggle is, is you have to get to the point where it's not distracting you and then it just becomes another utility on the camera. But getting to that point is not, it, it takes some time. Um, this is, you know what, I think honestly, the, this is a lesson in why you should shoot raw, even if you only use JPEGs because one stop, right. Cause then you can just change whatever you want later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like one stop of, of exposure error one way or the other in post these days with the files that we get out of our cameras, especially you guys shooting Sony, like you have so much dynamic range in those raw files that it's insane. So feels like cheating. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's like you, you can actually get it quite wrong out of the camera and still be able to get a very usable image out of it just because of that extra latitude provided by the raw file. So this is why like, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a trend now, I think among Fuji shooters, especially I see a lot of it on the internet, like they're saying, oh, now that I shoot Fuji, I will just shoot JPEG. And um, I don't do that because while the JPEGs are, are beautiful and, you know, 90% of the time I can, I can use those, um, it's always nice to have the raws. Like you, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to have the highest possible quality of that image, even if that's not what you use. Like just for archival purposes, if you ever want to go back, if your if your editing style changes, or if the uh, technology for interpreting image files changes, you know, a JPEG is one static snapshot of that data that you can't do very much with. Um, whereas a raw file, at least you'll always be able to. Um, use the full breadth of current photographic technology to manipulate it so it's always nice to have totally yeah even even as a backup strategy it's always it's always worth it yeah so if, separate if issue you, but anyway if, that's yeah yeah but if you want to shoot jpeg by all means do it but at least enable the raw plus jpeg option and that way you get both because storage is cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and to only to keep your to only keep the jpegs it's like shooting yourself in the foot at some point you're going to mess something up and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. Uh, and for example, yesterday, sure, I, I guess had I shot JPEG, I could have raised the exposure by one stop. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. But the result, I don't think it would have been as clean as, as I got it to be with the RAWs. So, well, yeah, I was editing, I was editing, a editing set, like a year after a bunch of photos from our Vancouver trip last year. They were all JPEGs. And... It's amazing how limiting those JPEGs were. Would have loved to have them in RAW afterwards, after like editing yeah. the, them the third and fourth time. Exactly. And the problem with JPEG editing is that it's a destructive process. So unless you save a version of the JPEG for each uh, alternate edit that you want to do, uh, every change that you do to the JPEG is you know, destroying information and you can't undo those changes. So that's a problem too. Oh, Robbers JPEG, another topic, along with <laughs> histograms. Oh, techie. We have our our work cut out for us. Overall, what kind of bag did you carry all your stuff in when you went on your trip, or your your I, hike yesterday? Well, I thought about it, and uh, I, I at first I wanted to to carry a camera bag, but I realized it wouldn't be very practical because I also needed to carry a lot of stuff that wasn't photography related. So what I did in the end was carry a regular backpack and I used uh, a couple pouches to put the camera inside and uh, and the telephoto lens. Probably a good call, hey, if the leather, your big leather Ona bag would have been in the snow. I can't imagine that would have turned yeah, out well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have been able to relax all that much. There's only so much leather conditioner out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I did take my Gorok GR1, uh, Gorok GR1 backpack which is a fantastic bag and can handle pretty much whatever you throw at it. So I wasn't concerned at all. And I was, uh, I knew that my gear would be safe because the, the pouches that I 
used to carry the camera and the lens were also padded on top of the padding that the bag has. So yeah, I didn't have any problems with that. Are those on Gorak the, ones? Are they like are they camera dedicated pouches or? No, they. I I own a, a camera pouch that is not from Gorak. That is just a I don't know what which brand it is, but just a regular uh, camera camera bag maker. Uh, I, I think it cost me like twenty bucks or something. So it's a it's a generic pouch that can fit a DSLR style body without a lens, but because the a7 II is smaller than a typical DSLR, I managed to fit it, the body with the 24-70 attached. Oh, nice. So it worked out pretty nicely, yeah. And then I used the Gorak Field Pocket, the smaller one, to carry the 70-200, which is just the right size. Uh, that pouch works perfectly for that lens. And since you can attach it to the top of the bag and it stays put, uh, you know, fixed to the top with the molly webbing that these bags have, uh, you can you can have it there on the top and it's not going to drop or it's not going to move. So it was a pretty good solution, all things considered, despite it not being a proper camera bag, if you will. It worked out very well and better than most camera bags would have. Well, I why think. don't we dive into that a little bit? Like... Do you, are you a backpack or a messenger bag kind of guy? Um, I have a messenger bag. I also have a normal backpack and we're going on a trip eventually. And I don't know what I want to take. Like I just imagine a messenger bag being a complete nuisance on a long trip, but I also get the messenger bag idea too. So, Right. Uh, if you had asked me that question two months ago, I would have said messenger bag all the way. But I suspect I'm going through a transition into becoming more of a backpack guy. Because, yeah, on my last trip to Paris, I spent four days walking for like 10 hours each day with a messenger bag packed, completely packed of camera gear. And it's not really convenient or comfortable. And at the end of the day, my shoulder was killing me. My lower back was super strained. So, yeah, I I don't think I'm ever going to take a messenger bag on a trip again, especially on a long trip where you're going to be, you know, doing touristy things right and the big leather bag just adds that much more weight yeah exactly exactly but i think it's not just the the leather it's the form factor itself messenger bags are like like the term implies they are designed to be convenient to carry stuff from point a to point b you know as quickly as possible and and they are designed to be easily accessible if you want to grab something from the inside of the bag uh, that you don't have to waste any time, you know, taking the backpack off, putting it on the ground and opening it up and so on. So it's it's a lot quicker to access and it's a lot easier to just sling around on one shoulder and off you go. But if you're going to be carrying it on you regularly for a long period of time, you know, walking and so on, then it becomes more of a nuisance and the backpack is a lot more convenient for those types types of scenario. I would say I couldn't agree more. I've I've shown you guys a couple of the backpacks that I've been looking at that are like kind of camera bag dedicated backpacks, and like Marius has shot down the, well the one that I sent to him he put like a mock up of a big carrot in the middle of it and made it look like a joke. Um, but then the other one we were talking <laughs> about today as a group like Marius didn't like that one either. So what's going on there, man? Like just not a backpack guy. No, no, hang on, hang on. I had nothing against today's. Today's was lovely. Today's was a. You said that it wasn't a bag for you. I just said I'm not a backpack oh, person. Oh, okay. But well, I, then you got to explain. Nothing, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So I have no stylistic issues with today's bag. The other one did look like a canvas snowman. I'm very sorry, but it's true. What if I gave you the black one? Would you still put a snowman thing on it? Probably. I mean, it would be a very strange snowman, but it, it still looks like one. Well, if it's at night. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you never know. My, my wife loved that backpack. She said she'd wear it. I know. I, I don't know. For me, it just the style of it, though, it looks like separate bags were stacked on top of each other and then sewn together. And then it was like, yay, we have a product. Do we give a name to this one? Should we? I think we shouldn't because they'll be upset with us. But anyway, I, it's OK. Yeah, I, I think it's a great bag just to put that on the record. I, I know somebody who has it and they love it. I have to rule in favor of Josh. If Jack says she likes it, then uh, she has 
definitely better better taste than I do at least. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, so, yeah. <laughs> I, absolutely. I guarantee, I guarantee that that my opinion here is not. I'm just you know I'm voicing it for the record, <laughs> but I, I'm sure it's a very practical bag. Like I think utility wise, it's actually uh, excellent. I just it's something that for me the style does not. It's even a Canadian compatible. company. As far I know, right. I, I should the patriotic oh. angle should stir or something, but it, <laughs> no, no. Uh, but anyway, so I'm not a backpack person, um, just because of the. Uh, I think it's it's a context thing. So I like messenger bags because most of the time when I'm carrying a camera, it is in um, a sort of point A to point B kind of context, or I'm just not carrying a tremendous amount of camera gear, so it doesn't make sense to have um, the the carrying capacity of a backpack. Um, but one thing that I think uh, backpack is always going to be better at is exactly this kind of I'm going on a trip context because a backpack distributes the weight of camera gear or uh, the weight of anything really much more comfortably for long-term wear. Um, messenger bags just can't do that because all of the weight is hanging off of one strap. Even if it's a very comfortable strap, it's just like that's that's the way it is. Um, but for me, for instance, when I'm, you know, I have my X100 with me pretty much everywhere. Um, I, I really like having a day bag that's a messenger style because it's very easy, um, like Alvaro was saying, to just very quickly pull the camera out, take a shot, get it back in, and I haven't even stopped moving. Like it's, it all happens in motion. It's very quick. Backpacks, I, I find it very difficult to have that same fluidity. And while, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but there are some interesting hybrid designs that try and bridge the gap between like messenger and backpack. Like one strap will come off and it'll swing forward and things like that. I think I had a low pro bag that did that. And um, it's it's bizarre, but it kind of works. Um, so that's, that's kind of like a best of both worlds thing. But for me, the problem with those is that they tend not to be very stylish bags. So they're not the kind of bag that I would want as my, you know, daily carry bag in the city. Um, but for just for dedicated camera usage, that's kind of um, uh, that's where my preference would lie um, on like in a trip scenario. But yeah, it's just for I think this is why it matters to define where you're going to be using the bag. And this is probably why photographers in general are so addicted to bags, because the different, you know, the different kinds of contexts in our lives where we actually carry this equipment dictates what kind of bag is going to be best. And so far, I don't think there has been a bag design that is ideal for all possible scenarios. I mean, I think there've been attempts, but so far I have not, uh, I've not seen one. So do you guys have to dress up at all for work? No, not really. Like, like do you have, no, like I got to dress up a little bit and I just, I'd, I'd be caught dead wearing a backpack to work, you know, with suit pants on and yeah, like that just no. doesn't work. There's no. no backpack where that fits. It just, it doesn't. So that's, that's another thing. And that's why I'm saying like daily carry, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Can you imagine a briefcase camera, like something with, oh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I'm sure there are. <laughs> Could you those, imagine? Yeah. Oh, need a quick shot. <laughs> uh, papers everywhere. Yeah. The camera bag industry is very weird because on paper, there are a ton of options. So whatever you can think of, somebody has, has tried it, somebody has made it. But, uh, you know, funnily enough, once you insert uh, looks into the equation, then it's uh, it's like a desert like mm -hmm. there are almost no bags out there that are functionally good and look good. And uh, off the top of my head, I can think of only Ona bags, the Billingham bags, and now these uh, Zging bags that we, oh, yes. that we just found out about today, you know, by random chance. And they actually look good. But yeah, it's like everyone who's designing camera bags out there is either like a super techie person that is obsessed with, uh, you know, military spec gear and, and the way these things look or, or just doesn't have very good taste because yeah. I, it's surprising to me. I mean, there's like a million different designs and they're all equally ugly. Why, why don't you tell us what you really think, man? <laughs> I, you know what I'm on the, when it comes to those Ona bags, they're like, they're really, really pretty, but I'm, Oh, I don't want to admit it, but I'm actually a little disappointed with mine. I bought it's too small. That's my own fault. But which one do you have? I have the Berlin too. It's it's that like Leica version of it. Right, right. Okay. And yeah, it, it's too it's too small and it's really heavy for how big it is. It looks awesome, but 
And I mean, I'll carry it with, you know, a camera in it, but I can't do anything more than that. It doesn't fit a full, like the iPad Pro. And anyhow, that's why I'm in the market. You know, the funny thing is I have the leather uh, Brixton from Mona as well. And that that one's too big. <laughs> so it's like we both made the wrong choice. And I bet our friend and friend of the show, Mike Bates, who owns the leather Prince Street, is just laughing himself. Yeah, he probably is. <laughs> laughing right now like crazy because he actually made the right call. And I wish I would have bought that one by yeah, far. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because the Brixton is amazing and and I love it. But it's uh, just big enough that it's not really that comfortable to wear, especially once you have it on your on your back for like a good couple hours. And as soon as I put the laptop in, which is the main reason to get that back, because it's the only one that can carry a 13-inch laptop. But as soon as you put a laptop in, it's just too heavy between that and the leather. And if you want to carry the camera as well. Especially yeah, as a messenger. Yeah, it becomes really, really heavy. Uh, and uh, it's it's okay for uh, what we were saying before. If you want to go from place A to point A to point B, you know, in your city, and you're going to have it on you for an hour, uh, the, the time that it takes you to get there. And once you get there, if you can just leave it, uh, you know, lying around on, on the floor or on a desk or whatever, if you can just take it off, then it's okay. And I'm, I'm sort of learning to love my bag again, because after the trip to Paris, I was, uh, you know, I was reluctant to use it. I was like a bit pissed off that it, it I really didn't enjoy it that much uh, during the trip. But now I'm slowly learning to love it again. And it's it's taken me a while, and I suspect I will, I will uh, you know, get there in the end. Marius, don't you have, you've got a, a new, one that we've never heard of, a new uh, yeah. messenger bag of sorts. <laughs> I do, yeah. So I um, I am in the midst of reviewing a bag by a company called Wotan Craft, um, and they they provided a bag that is called the Scout, um, and I guess it's their it's kind of like their equivalent of the Prince Street. I think that's probably a good way to characterize it, just to give you a, a reference for size and and you know shape and stuff like that. But this is like. This is an outstanding bag. Um, I don't, you know, spoilers if you care about the review, but it's like I have been incredibly impressed with it so far. Um, I've been wearing it daily for uh, must be like more than a month now. Um, and it's just it's like I'm coming from a think tank bag. So I don't know how you guys feel about think tank, but they they've sort of been my my go to bag company for ever. Um, it, just because I, I felt that they were the a very good um, compromise between um, like utility, price, and the way they look and feel. Um, but this Scout bag is just outstanding. Like it's it's one of those things where um, it leans a little more toward the fashionable side than any camera bag I've owned before. So I'm still getting used to that. Um, in fact, I had a, a totally unprecedented experience, which is that someone asked me out on the street what bag that is. And I was like, uh, Whoa. this is never, yeah, I know. It was like, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to this situation. It's like, uh, that's literally uh, never happened to me before. Well, but, but I'm glad to know that it does happen to someone because when I, when I was considering buying the Ona bag, I couldn't stop reading review after review of people saying, oh, and I get a lot of compliments on my bag and people stop me on the streets and, and ask me, <laughs> Nobody what does bag it, no. is that? And to me, it's never happened. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> like never, ever happened. So I was, it's nice I to was see that. I was so skeptical. Yeah, I was so skeptical reading those reviews and then it happened and I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is a real thing. Well, Josh, I guess you and I just look like grumpy guys and nobody wants to talk to us. <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to approach us. <laughs> I don't know. But it was strange because I'm like, so for me, when I, one of the things that I actually like about the think tank bags is that they're quite stealthy. I mean, they don't look very good as far as fashion goes. They're very understated. They're very um, bland, but it's, it's a very deliberate design choice, right? They're made to be taken with you and to not attract attention. And that's good. Um, this one is, is obviously it's again, a little more fashionable. Um, but it's, it's interesting because when I get comments it's usually not like this was the the outlier situation someone 
uh, in the real world, quote unquote. But this bag is interesting because when I show it to people sort of up close and they have a look at the materials and they feel it and they look at the way it's crafted, that's where I get compliments. They're like, wow, you know, this is actually like a really well-crafted bag. And it's it's so well-crafted that even like a lay person um, inspecting it feels that it's like th there's something like a lot of care and attention has been put into its design and its build. And that's something that I'm not used to because again, I, I haven't really, um, this is like the best bag that I've ever owned. I've never owned an own a bag. I've never, like I've, I've seen them in stores. I've looked at them and everything, but like, this is the best that I've actually experienced, um, in my own daily usage. And it'd be a really good comparison an own a bag in this one. Like it, they're perfect. Yeah, like it would be interesting to hear your guys' thoughts on this bag. And the, the struggle is that, of course, Wotan Craft is not as well known out here. Um, I believe they're based in Taiwan. I might have to correct that later. I, I think that's where they're based. But in any event, it's a very small company, and um, it's it's like it's unbelievable how much quality they've put into this, just to the materials and everything. So anyway, I'm, I'm very happy with it so far, but again, it is one of those bags where, um, I wouldn't take this with me on a trip for instance, because it's a messenger bag. So the style is just not the right fit for carrying camera equipment for 10 hour days walking. Like it's just not, it doesn't distribute the weight exactly. that way. Which color did you get? I got the, um, stone gray one which um we'll put a link in the show notes so you can actually look at this bag yeah, and I, I got the vintage gray one here online looks looks really nice that's yep. the one yeah vintage gray that's yeah, the one it's beautiful beautiful bag yeah and i also have the uh the waterproof inserts so that's that's one of the oh, cool things about this bag you were talking about the um you know having a bag that's both camera bag and not camera bag so this is the actual camera bag portion of it is a padded insert that sits inside the body of the bag and it's removable which means you can you know replace it or if you don't need camera stuff you just can have a beautiful bag with you um, but they also sent along this uh, this waterproof version of the interior compartment, which is really cool because you can actually submerge that por <laughs> that portion of it, um, and it'll survive, which is cool. Um, but it's it's basically like the same size. It's padded. It's got um, on the inner lid. It's got a, a sort of removable pocket thing. Um, it's difficult to describe, but it's uh, you know same same idea. Like really top notch craftsmanship and very well thought out bag. Um, I will say it's not one of those bags that has like a, a huge number of compartments and things like that. So if you're into, um, you know, the, the super modular bags that have a pocket for everything, this is definitely not it. This one has just enough pockets that I think it's, uh, it, it maintains utility, but it's not um, overly complicated. Like you don't get side pockets and things like that. You've got two front pockets, you've got a back pouch, you've got the interior compartment, you've got a, a tablet um, sleeve area, I guess on the inside, um, which actually funny story. I, uh, so, you know, I'm, I need something that can carry my iPad pro now that that's with me, um, as my main machine. And, um, they thought that this bag could not carry the iPad pro because they never, it, it didn't occur to them to try it, um, thinking it would be too big. And indeed it doesn't fit in the dedicated tablet sleeve, but as it turns out, it does fit perfectly in between the camera compartment and the back wall if you just slide it in beside the uh the camera pouch it works it fits just fine so it it i was like hey guys did you know that <laughs> that it works this way and yeah it turns out that it fits so for me this is now ideal because it means whether or not i have camera equipment with me this bag can carry everything that i need it looks great for business stuff and uh, it's comfortable so nice very happy with it so far score one for not for bringing up uh a name that nobody else will i i mean I, did, I had not heard of this before you had brought it to my attention so i cool yeah it was a discovery for me and I, I feel like there's a lot of companies out there that are like this in the sense that they you know they've they make really really excellent products and they just don't have that much mind share yet so i'm happy that we have an opportunity to draw attention to their good work and to like you know share with people that hey there's another option beside the the big brands that you probably have heard of so, Alvaro, should we add another two to that conversation? Two bags that people may not have heard of, because we could start with like one. I'm I'm probably traveling in June, and I'm doing a lot of 
you know, pre brainstorming for all the purchasing I get to do. It's my favorite part of the trip, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but I'm looking at, I think I'm going to go with a backpack uh, instead of the messenger for our trip. And I'm looking at either the, um, the Langley alpha pro, uh, which is a backpack that is kind of, it looks like the bag that Marius talked about earlier, where, uh, it's like half bag, half backpack stacked on top of each other. And then there's another one that, um, Alvaro brought up today, and that is this. How do you pronounce it? Zkin? I guess so. It's Zkin. Uh, yeah, or, it's like skin, but with a Z instead s- of an S. Skin with a Z. Exactly. And that backpack, what's it? What's the. Is it Yeti? The Yeti? Is that what the they call Yeti. it? Right. And it is gorgeous. It's even got a couple of features that I think have a head up over that Alpha Pro backpack. So. Yeah, um, I don't want to. I don't want to rub it in, but it's like somebody looked at the Alpha Pro and decided to do it right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like it. Um, so I, I'm leaning towards this one, but you know, because Alvaro discovered it, I gotta let him, you know, brag about it. <laughs> no, no, it's a like like you said, it's a beautiful backpack, and it's very. Uh, I think it's very versatile because it's it it's sort of divided into like the bottom half of the bag is dedicated to camera gear, uh, with. Uh, configurable insert uh, padded you know with pad compartments that you can arrange the in whatever way you prefer and the the neat thing about it is that you have two side pockets side uh, zippers that give you access to that compartment so that you can just grab your camera from inside of the bag without taking it off your shoulders right and that's the age-old argument against backpacks right exactly yeah typically when you have a, a camera back, backpack you if you want to access the interior, you usually need to take it off, put it on the ground and open it up and, you know, grab whatever you need from it. But with this sort of uh, quick access mechanism, you get to have your cake and eat it too, basically, because you ha- you get all the convenience of a backpack and you get you still get quick access to your gear and you don't need to take it off, at least to access the most frequently used items, because you cannot get to every item from those side pockets, I guess. But for the two or three things that you use most often, it's going to work pretty well. And then the top of the bag is just like a regular backpack. You have a compartment where you can put whatever stuff you want to take with you on, on a trip or, or you know, on a walk or whatever. And it works uh, very well. I actually like it a lot aesthetically and functionally. It seems to be a pretty good bag as well. So definitely worth considering. A little bit on the expensive side, though. A little bit. Yeah, but it looks like it's very well made. It True has enough. leather accents and, and the design is functional while still being visually good looking, which is something I really appreciate in a camera bag. I really like the top, how it's a drawstring close. Um, yeah. It keeps, I, I have one of those big, you know, hike, big, big, big backpacks that you take that make it look like you're really backpacking through Europe or something. Um, and maybe for Alvaro, I could be backpacking through North America. I, anyway, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I like those drawstrings and this one has that. So score one. Yeah. And it's, it looks good and it's functional, like I said, and yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, we need to take a look at it, see if we can get our hands on it and and review it or, or, you know, uh, so that we can speak about it with, (laughs) with evidence, not just because this is just a hunch. Uh, it looks good on the pictures. It seems to be well designed, but we haven't actually uh, seen it or touched it or used it. So take this with a grain of salt. But if you want a backpack that looks good and uh, and should <laughs> should work equally good, I think yeah. this one is not sure if I'd wear it with a suit or anything like that. But definitely for a, a no, yeah. But trip. any backpack with a suit is going to look out of place. <laughs> Even yeah. the yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, a few months ago, the Gora guys <clears throat> released a, a line of backpacks that uh, had all the external features removed. It was just like a plain bag with nothing on it. And that was supposed to be the suit-friendly bag from them. But mm. I don't know how that how well that worked out for them because I haven't... Well, maybe they still sell them. I'm not sure, actually. So Take a look. Don't, yeah. Um, we should probably confirm that but yeah I, I, I don't think it worked out very very well so uh, marius do you think that this is a better looking one than the um the bag that shall not be named i do this is a better looking bag than the one that shall not be named definitely it's still not a bag that i would like 
probably it's not one that I would be clamoring to buy, but it's not, it wouldn't be because of the style. It would just be because for me, again, I, I'm much less frequently in situations where I, I need a backpack style bag. And in those situations, I'm often not carrying a huge amount of camera gear. And this is, again, this is why it's so individual because often when I'm traveling, I try and have the minimal amount of camera gear with me. Um, so for me, usually just having a standard backpack uh, makes more sense um, with a little insert of some kind. And that's basically, that's the way I've been traveling for several years now is just having a pretty standard crappy backpack with a camera insert inside of it, protecting whatever, you know, one camera and lens or one camera and two lenses or the X100 or whatever it is that I'm taking with me. Um, so that's, that's kind of why, but, um, it does look good. I do like the the look of this backpack. One thing I wanted to ask you guys about is how you feel about pricing though, because I feel like this is something we've, uh, we've, we've not really mentioned, um, because most of these bags are not like, they're not budget bags. Right. And so this is a, this is an important factor when you're deciding on a camera bag is like, how much are you willing to spend on it? And I just wanted to get a sense of where you guys land on this. Uh, cause it, it's, it's strange. I feel people are very, um, adamant about this. And for some, you know, they, they look at an own a bag and they're like, Oh my God, that's so overpriced and da da da. And I wonder if, uh, if it actually is or not. And, um, yeah, just wh where are you guys on, uh, on the pricing of these, premium bags. I guess we can call them premium bags. Alvaro, do you have any quick quips for the for him? Like yeah, before before I get into that though, I, I just wanted to point out that the the Gorak bag that I mentioned earlier is still for sale. It's called the SK26. Ah, oh, yes, that's the one. And it looks just like a gear 1 but without the webbing and the uh, sort of more military looking features. And there's actually a picture of a guy <laughs> in a suit wearing that backpack and <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love Gorak, but this is just it. It just it doesn't work. I'm sorry. Wearing a backpack like this with a suit, especially the aviator sunglasses. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> but hey, uh, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Okay, so back to back to topic. Uh, I think what what you said, Marius, is is exactly exactly right. I mean. The problem that I see in the camera bag market is that since there are so few options that actually look good, uh, the brands that put them out, I think they feel like they can charge a premium for them. And unfortunately, uh, they've been doing so. The the uh, the photographer and uh, user that is concerned with looks, uh, we have to pay a premium for this type of bag, and uh, as of today, it's that's still very much the case. And uh, it's all related because these uh, these brands, they tend to make really high quality products, like you were saying, and use like uh, very nice materials like leather, and uh, they they make everything by hand, and so it it takes a while to make these bags. So in a way, it makes sense that they're going to be more expensive. I'm not saying it's completely unjustified, so there's there there are reasons to justify it, definitely. But I don't know that it's that much, I mean, to justify that much of a difference, because the Ona bags, if you want the leather versions, it's almost like double the price or something like that. Not mm -hmm. quite double. That leather, though, you and I both will agree that that leather is probably the best leather bag I've ever put my hands on it is it is incredibly well made exactly me too and i was curious about that because you said before marius that you have seen ona bags before and that the wartan craft was still the best made bag that you've ever touched and uh, i wanted to ask you have you have you seen the leather version of the ona bags or just the regular canvas versions i've seen both um and i've i've sort of briefly played with both um and this is why i don't i'm 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 not qualified to judge them because I haven't spent time with them. And I feel like a bag is is one of those things where really you can't form a reasonable opinion until you've actually spent time using it. So take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But um, just looking at the the sheer craftsmanship of the bags and the quality of the materials, I think they're both excellent. I think Ona, like you said, the leather is of exceptional quality. Um, the unit that I was playing with... Um, was not especially pliable, but I understand that, of course, like with any other leather, that just softens with use and age. 
Um, but actually, the reason that I was more impressed with the Wotan craft bags craftsmanship is the way that it was all assembled. So the stitching, um, the precision of the stitching, especially things like that. Um, I don't know if this was just the particular unit of the Ona bag that I was looking at, but it was not really very precise um, or consistent. And I was seeing some fraying and some, you know, flyaway um threads and things like that, um, which I didn't expect to see in a bag of that caliber, you know, it's just, and again, this is, this might be, um, just that particular bag being in, in worse shape for whatever reason, but it was a new bag. So, um, the, the impression was not great. Um, whereas the Wotan craft bag, like I said, the, everything like from the moment I pulled it out, everything is just so precisely done. And so, um, uh, cleanly finished off and there's no you know nothing is hanging over nothing is sort of there's no stray ends anywhere and the material quality is high so overall it just gave a more promising impression but again that's just i've spent more time with this bag so i have a a sense for it um which i don't for the ona bag so i could be totally wrong and it's you know i don't i don't want to put pit them against each other because i don't i don't think that's valuable but um it's just something that i look to and for me it's not so much about the fashion element it's more about the craftsmanship that's something that i i would be willing to pay for is like generally i don't buy very many bags so before this one i i mentioned that i use think tank bags and i've literally been using the same think tank bag for like five or six years now um and it's still going strong so to me that's like remarkable craftsmanship that's a well-made bag sure it doesn't look very great it's not very fashionable but that thing has withstood all sorts of travel, all sorts of conditions, all sorts of equipment, and it works fine. I haven't had to replace anything. I hadn't haven't had to stitch anything up or fix or anything. It's just like it's solid, um, and that's something. That's the kind of quality that I'm willing to pay for. Right. I don't think you're wrong. I think the the owner bags have been criticized because of their their fraying with the stitching and 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 that's something i've seen around the web on occasion and i've seen it in my bag too uh, the even brand new when i when i took it out of the box i did notice uh, you know a couple a couple points where the stitching was fraying a little bit and it hasn't gotten worse since that's good so i guess it's just a matter of uh, the the finish you know the fit and finish yeah I, I wouldn't say that it takes away that match from the overall quality of the bag because the leather is just fantastic and it's still to my eyes it's getting better every day because it it just earns character the more you use it you know it develops yeah this. I'll attest to that as well yeah for sure exactly yeah that's the nice thing about leather in general is just that it it does get better with age or better looking at least and it really impressed me you know because of the thickness and the the sheer quality of the leather and the the rest of the materials in the bag i have never used a bag that is this well made and even going at a, at a uh, you know at a leather workshop uh, because we have a lot of those here in the old part in the old town uh, the old part of the town in madrid there are there's a street full of leather workshops and you can see the the men there working the leather and making the bags, and it's amazing, really. It's it's beautiful to see. But these bags are nothing like those. I mean, the leather they use, while still being incredible quality, it's a lot more, it's a lot thinner. It, so it's wow. it's just the the overall impression of quality that you get with an Ona bag is something I had never seen before. So yeah, they do have these issues, but I I, I would st- still consider them like a, a top top shelf uh, maker for sure. And uh, regarding Think Tank, I I couldn't agree more. I also own uh, a Think Tank bag myself, the Retrospective Five. It's a small messenger bag, and I reviewed it for Tools and Toys a few months ago, actually. So you can you can go there and check it out. We will probably include a link in the show notes to that review. So these bags are, are an exceptional value in my mind. These are very affordable considering just how well made they are because I've put mine through hell and back and it's still, well, not like new, but almost. I mean, it it, it, it shows a little bit of age, but it's it, it's, I would say it also adds character to the bag. It's not a bag that you would look at it and say, wow, man, you need to get a new one like soon. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, these are these are high quality products, and the design is super functional. It's it's got a pocket for everything, and the layout is 
I find uh, very clever. You have all sorts of convenience features like a, key, a, a built-in keyring and... Yeah, the, I love that. That's so handy. I've not seen that on other bags. Yeah, me neither. And it, it just makes so much sense, right? So these are very, very functional and very tough and very nice bags. But like you were saying, it's just the looks factor. They are really not that great. So it kind of leaves you wanting something a little bit extra in, in, in that regard. And that's too bad because I'm, I mean, they've, they're trying because they've released a, a leather version of these bag and I don't know if it's a limited edition or what, but it's, you, you see it and it's sort of like a Frankenstein monster of a bag because it looks like it's made from parts of different bags. You know, the, the, they've retained all the functional design and they've tried to add like a leather layer on top and it just doesn't work. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work. Yeah, it's odd. I've not actually seen one of those in person yet. What's it called? Yeah, it's the Think Tank Retrospective 5, but it's leather version. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's called the deluxe version or something like that. But yeah, it's it's just odd looking. I I love that bag functionally, but it's just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really make me happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to me what I what I was getting at is just that the t like when you're assessing value, it's it's like. I want to buy a bag and if I'm going to be spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on it, then I, I, I want it to inspire the confidence that it's going to be with me for years and that I don't have to worry about, um, you know, putting it through difficult situations, um, not just, you know, your day to day, um, you know, commute to work, but also like, I want to know that I can travel with this bag and not have to, you know, baby it or anything like that. Um, and as far as, cause I've encountered a lot of people who don't, um, they don't see the need to pay that much money for a camera bag because they're thinking like, well, uh, you know, it's, it's a utility ultimately, like it's carrying my gear. This is not a fashion statement. And I understand that perspective, but I think that um, the element of fashion and craftsmanship go hand in hand. So it tends to be that when you buy a bag that is of good quality, it tends to also look better than the cheaper bags. And for me, right. the willingness to spend the extra money comes from first of all from that idea of making a longer term investment where i'm buying a bag that i expect will last me for several years because um, i don't want to replace it every year right like that's not the way that i want to buy bags but also um i'm putting thousands of dollars worth of camera equipment into this bag like i want to i want it to inspire the confidence that i don't have to be concerned that it's going to fall apart or that i have to worry about moisture or that uh, you know, there's any chance that my equipment is going to be damaged in general use. Um, and so, you know, like when you when you compare it that way, when you're thinking about, okay, yeah, sure, I'll spend $10,000 on my camera kit, but I'm, yeah, I'm not going to spend more than 80 on the bag that I carry it in day to day, right? Like, that's just weird. And in that way, the Think Tank bags just wipe the floor with the Ona, for example, because they are absolutely built to, to last for years. And the Ona bags too. And you get the lifetime guarantee. Yeah, the Ona bags are also exceptional and will also last. I was going to say, what are you saying it's not going to last? Because this bag feels bulletproof. Yeah, it may feel bulletproof, but would you take it out in a tropical rainstorm, for example? Yeah, maybe not. Because I wouldn't. And to have a 400 and, uh, I don't know if it's $440 or something like that, but it's an expensive bag. And to be constrained in the type of environment you can use it, because you're afraid of damaging the bag seems completely counterintuitive to me. And I, I'm the one who bought it. So. Me too. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, sort of, it sort of makes me, I don't know. I, 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 it's, like I said, it's contradictory to, to a point. And uh, that's why when I look at bags like the Think Tanks, I, I think to myself that they are a fantastic value and I'm not going to sell mine anytime soon. First of all, because it really wouldn't be worth that much, but uh, also because I genuinely like it and still use it. So even though I prefer the Ona for you know regular usage, uh, if if it's raining outside, for example, I'm gonna use a backpack or I'm gonna use my think tank bag instead. So you get uh, that's what choices are for unfortunately you know right. which goes to show that no bag is a one-size-fits-all yeah. and this is this is why photographers are addicted to bags yeah, exactly. <laughs> although you know I, I actually there was one other aspect of the uh the way that bags look that i think is worth mentioning because we have um 
you know, like we're, we're talking about scenarios where, um, being, you know, having a fashionable bag is a good thing, but there are a lot of scenarios where that is a very, very bad thing. So that's where oh, yeah. something like the, the drab looking think tank is actually a much better buy because it doesn't look like an expensive camera bag comparatively, right? It doesn't, it's not made of fancy leather. It's not any, it's just, it looks like this drab little sack that's hanging off of you, um, which is perfect for people who are going into, um, you know, any sort of shooting context where you are in some sort of danger of being robbed. Um, for example, if you're going somewhere where um, petty theft is a, is a big problem, um, you know, street photography in, in some other country than your own where that's an issue. Um, Especially if you're carrying two like cues. Exactly right. Like if you've got one strapped to each, it just doesn't. You don't want it to be in a or, bag. Or it's even like, three if you're using the thirty-five and 50, 50 millimeter crops. You know? I mean, you need one for each. I was actually thinking like you could helmet mount one. You know what I yeah. mean? Like just have one yeah. on the head and then one in each. GoPros hand are for suckers. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Twenty-four megapixels. Yeah, there you go. Oh, excuse me, here, guys. I'm done for the night. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's a consideration that, um, you don't want to lose sight of when you're, um, when you're talking about this and, and being like, okay, well, why would you ever want to buy an ugly bag? It's like, well, because sometimes that's exactly the, the look that you're after. Um, and it's, it's worth keeping that in mind. And I think that think tank actually manages to toe that line pretty well because they're not ugly bags. They're just very unassuming. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so they strike a pretty good balance there. But don't worry, Josh, if you're worried about getting robbed in Europe, just buy the Alpha Pro bag. You're going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> hey, the bag that shall not be named was named. Oh, sorry about that. Oh. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I'm still here laughing. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> no, but absolutely. Absolutely. If there are, there are certain places you don't want to be drawing attention to yourself. And uh, yeah, having, having a discreet bag is definitely, uh, I would say, a must. I, unless you you don't mind being robbed or <laughs> something worse but okay i'm done uh yeah i i think um after this discussion guys i think i'm more or less i'm leaning towards either getting a camera bag insert for my current backpack or going with the the z skin one whatever you want to call it looks good looks good looks yeah i feel like having if you've got a good backpack already and you're not carrying a huge amount of camera gear then the insert is actually like a really practical solution because you keep, you know, you buy a backpack that's actually good for normal backpack things. And then you just use whatever insert you like to kind of give it new life and new capabilities. Yeah. You know, I think I, I would be on the same boat, um, but I've bought two or th I've got three prime lenses now. And I think that I'm going to end up switching lenses a ton when I'm walking around and doing our thing. And yeah, so that's already a fair amount of stuff with you. And therefore, like having those side opening doors just seems like perfect. So perfect. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. willing to go and buy a zoom lens just for the sake of a two to three week trip. I, yeah. 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 No, and those side pockets look very practical. So I love the leather on the bottom. The bottom on the, like the leather on the bottom of that bag looks just, oh, awesome. And it has that clever little pocket for the the tripod leg yeah you know, it's it's actually functional yeah it's it, it's a really work. impressive bag we got to get our hands on it however definitely however definitely. it works is it faster to ship from hong kong hong kong to, to madrid or to in the middle of manitoba i think we can race them have them ship to yeah. both and we'll see which arrives first <laughs> <laughs>